The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your story. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. And now, a story about a lady who curates a very specific kind of museum, Nancy Three Hoffman. Yes, her middle name is the numeral three, not the word three, the numeral. And she lives in Maine and is the founder and curator of the world's only umbrella cover museum. Here is Nancy's story on how she came to open such a unique place. Hi, I'm Nancy Three Hoffman. I am the founder, director, and curator of the world's only umbrella cover museum. 
Now we're just talking about the sleeves, the sheaths that come on umbrellas when you buy a new umbrella because they fascinate me. So what happens to most umbrella covers when they're first purchased? That's the big question. The answer I have found over many years of doing the Umbrella Cover Museum is that most people don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so they put them in the closet, drop them in the car, stick them in a pocket, lose them. And it's that particular phenomenon that they are underappreciated and sort of enigmatic that fascinated me. So one day I was cleaning out my house. I found a few umbrella covers. I looked at them and said, hmm, why did I keep these? And what do other people do with them? So I started asking people and right away they gave me their umbrella covers. Not only that, but they would tell me the story. Like the first one I collected was from an umbrella my friend Becky had. She used to have a duck handled umbrella because she's an Audubon bird fanatic. So she said, well, I took this umbrella with me to Nassau. I left the cover at home and then I forgot the duck at the dock and the cover was still at home. So here it is, you can have it. So that was the first one I actually collected. My family gave me their umbrella covers. I asked them for a story. So I would put them up on my kitchen wall with a sticky note telling me the history, the anecdote, what we say, the provenance, of the umbrella cover itself. And then one day, maybe a year later, I walked into a department store in Portland, saw a display of umbrellas. There was a really, really pretty one with flowers on it. I slipped the cover off the umbrella, put it in my pocket and walked out to the store. It was really the catalyst for the umbrella cover museum because honestly, I'm a very truthful, honest person and I don't normally steal things, but I did that day. I call it my crime of passion, and I didn't want to keep doing that. So the Umbrella Cover Museum is my penance. I didn't think of it as a museum at first. I just thought, oh, mm, I'm collecting umbrella covers. They're kind of cute. That's kind of a funny thing. So I put them on my kitchen wall. People came to my house. They would look, they would say, what are you doing? And it was just, I guess I'm collecting umbrella covers at first. And then when I had enough, I was amusing people. I like to amuse people. They were curious about the whole idea of collecting them. I decided to open it up as a museum. And then the following year, I got interviewed by NPR and BBC Radio. So I was pretty chuffed about that. And I thought, wow, I must really have something here. So the collection, meanwhile, kept growing and growing, and I had to put it in my living room, on my porch, you know, so I was kind of outgrowing the space in my house. And eventually I was able to rent a space on the main street of Peaks Island. So I give tours of the Umbrella Cover Museum. There are exhibits that are all organized. I play the theme song on my accordion. So it's always been a really fun and, okay, quirky, place to visit. I have a really great international exhibit. There are now covers from 74 different countries. So if someone comes in from Romania, I can point to the Romanian umbrella cover 
And I can also sing a song in Romanian, which not everybody could do. The game Mad for Plaid is also on the wall this year, where you have to guess which two covers are really from Scotland. And you win a prize. If you do guess, the prizes are drink parasols. The art and umbrella covers exhibit, which has famous paintings like the girl with a pearl earring or the kiss by Gustav Klimt on umbrella covers. There are a lot of really good umbrella cover stories. One of my favorites is that a young woman from Peaks Island, Eleanor, was living in Germany. And she found a black umbrella cover on the side of the road next to the Berlin Wall. And she wrote a great story about how it was a gray, grisly day by this symbol of communism and of repression. There were two people kissing by the side of the wall who were ignoring the whole history. And there, here was this umbrella cover that she had just found. The other thing that I realized about the Umbrella Cover Museum after having it open for a few years was that it has a deeper purpose. The mission of the Umbrella Cover Museum is the appreciation of the mundane in everyday life. It's also about finding wonder and beauty in the simplest of things and about knowing that there is always a story behind the cover. And if you keep that in mind, it's hard to get bored. It's hard to not find some joy and beauty in just about any activity or anything in the world. And that's really why I keep going with it. And that's really, I hope, what grabs people when they come to see the Umbrella Cover Museum. And a great job by Chrissy and a special thanks to Nancy Three Hoffman. And if you want to learn more about the Umbrella Cover Museum or want to donate your umbrella covers to Nancy's collection, go to www.umbrellacovermuseum.org. The museum is only open in the summer, so if you're in Maine, be sure to visit. The story of the Umbrella Cover Museum here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we continue with our American stories, and now we bring you the story of Game to Grow, a nonprofit that uses Dungeons and Dragons as a tool in therapy. Here to explain what they do are Adam Johns and Adam Davis. Um, as we talk to, to people kind of around the country, and especially people who are not not in the gaming or um, or kind of geek um, atmosphere or culture, oftentimes they assume Dungeons & Dragons is a video game. So here's, here's how I usually describe it. 
Um, there's one person who acts as the sort of head storyteller and referee of the game. And they know most of the rules and they can explain most of the rules to the game. And that person's usually referred to as the dungeon master or the game master. And they sit at the head of the table and they describe stuff that's happening in the world. And then everybody else who's sitting at the table um, is uh, just playing a character in that world, a single character. And they have a piece of paper that tells them things like how strong their character is or what kind of equipment they have or what kinds of abilities they have. And this all takes place in a fantasy world, much like Lord of the Rings, where there are swords and bow and arrow and uh, full suits of armor and, of course, magical spells. And the dungeon master might describe something like, all of you have uh, decided to venture into this dark cave where you can see that there are there's mildew growing on the walls, there's mold, um, and there is a um, dripping coming from the stalactites in the ceiling. You're here because you've heard of a tremendous treasure um, that apparently was lost in these caves a long time ago, and you've decided you're going to go after that treasure. Maybe even you have a map to help guide you through. And as you travel further down into the cave, it's very dark, um, but you can see that the walls have been carved out like somebody has carved them with man-made tools. And you travel deeper and deeper into this cave system until finally you open up into a, a large room. And in this large room, you can see um, across the way is a door on the other side of a very large gap. Um, and the gap seems to stretch very far down into the ground. But the thing that really catches your eye is that hanging above the gap, uh, clinging for dear life, appears to be a small gnome man. And he's uh, hanging from a rope. And he sees you as you walk in and he uh, shouts to you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy somebody finally showed up. Please help me. And at this point in time, uh, the dungeon master then says, what do you do? And all of the players at the table get to decide what their character does to sort of overcome this this challenge or this situation. So they might do all sorts of things. A uh, warrior character might um, leap across the pit and try to grab the gnome uh, to save him from, from falling down into the pit. A, um, a ranger or an archer character um, might shoot a bow with a, with a rope tied to it and tightrope walk across the, the pit and, and um, save the gnome that way. Or a wizard character who can cast magic spells might uh, use a magic spell that can pull the rope and get it swinging so the gnome might be able to jump off. And no matter what they do, they're going to do it together because all the players at the table are all working on a team together. They're not competing with each other. Instead, they are working cooperatively towards a common goal. And in this case, the common goal of the game is not the most points. It's not even to achieve a particular goal. Even in this case um, of the example I gave, you're not trying to get treasure. You're trying to tell a story. And that's one of the really brilliant things about um, games like Dungeons and Dragons is that the point of the game is to tell a story. And because that's really the goal of the game, because that's really the place that you're trying to get to, everybody at the table might have a different idea for what that story looks like, but they know they're all working towards that goal. Um, and that's what really turns it into a, a brilliant and amazing experience as the Dungeon Master continues to describe things in the world, continues to describe whether or not the players um, 
uh, attempts to to do those things are successful, um, and the players get to roll dice to help add randomness and and help determine the the outcomes of their action, and get to really have the most open-ended gaming experience you can possibly have, where they can decide and and try anything that comes to their minds in a very loose um, uh, rule system that allows you to be very flexible with the outcomes of it. A lot of game masters, to to my chagrin, um, I don't like the fact that they often see themselves as adversaries of the players. There's oftentimes an antagonistic relationship where the game master uh, sees themselves as needing to challenge, and there's like a, ha-ha, your characters are going to die today because my monsters are going to be stronger than them. And we don't do anything like that. Um, our goal as game masters is very much to challenge the players, but also to keep them engaged and keep them excited. So we do that by challenging them the right amount, um, building on their ideas while they build on our space, um, on, on our ideas, because we are uh, we're co- co-creating and collaborating in this in this game where that's oftentimes uh, for many of our players the first time an adult has said, what do you care about? What do you want to do? So then the players now see an adult who is playing with them, really playing with them in a way that is very healing to a lot of a lot of participants, especially ours, who are identified at school as, as oftentimes being an outcast. People tell them what to do all the time, very rarely say, what do you care about? What is something that you want out of life? And so this is an opportunity where they can push boundaries and see what happens when they take up space and then have an adult be excited about the choices that they're making. We started doing what we're doing right now using Dungeons and Dragons in therapeutic social skills groups largely by accident. Adam and I both started playing Dungeons and Dragons when we were pretty young. Uh, Got a lot out of it. We played games with our friends. We got to use all the Uh, All the mechanics of the games and the storytelling of the game to really get a lot of social outlet when we were kids. I, Adam Davis, was um, studying drama therapy because I had wanted to use the the drama games and experiences that I had had as a performer and then as a drama teacher to help kids kids become more into themselves and learn about themselves and, and how they could interact with the world better. And so Adam and I met in grad school and I started picking up um, an after school program that was a Dungeons and Dragons program for quirky kids who needed a little, uh, little guidance and social support. And I took the game over and realized that Dungeons and Dragons is actually a, a perfect uh, modality for sit down drama therapy. So we uh, started using the game a little more intentionally and then um, just barely scratching the surface. And then when um, my facilitator at the time left to go pursue other interests. There was an opening and I knew Adam from grad school, so we had kind of like done that thing where we uh, we, we brought uh, some things from our personal lives as sort of a get to know you activity in the very beginning of the quarter and both Adam and I brought dice. We knew from across the room that we were both named Adam, we both liked dice and games and so we knew we were kindred spirits. Uh, so um, we, we had that great moment, that sort of nerd nod <laughs> uh, from from across the room, um, and then uh, after the class, uh, Adam Davis came up to me and he said, "Hey, do you want to get paid to come and play improv games in Dungeons and Dragons?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like the best." Um, and at the time, the group was really just a, a sort of uh, drop-in social group. Um, and then when we came in, we started saying, "There's a lot we can do with this." 
And we were both in a state of uh, sort of master's program um, desire to to want to use all the amazing theories and all the amazing stuff that we were learning. And we um, really had this tremendous opportunity to start diving in saying, oh my gosh, we're this, this is exactly what we can be using, all of these amazing theories, all these amazing things that we're learning, and we can apply them right here, but through the game of Dungeons & Dragons that we grew up playing. And when we return, we're going to hear more from Adam Johns and Adam Davis. Game to grow, and my goodness, I never thought of anything like this before. But by the way, people who naysay and talk down so many of the games that young boys and girls play, I don't think see the virtues a lot of these games and a lot of the social skills that can be learned playing them, and particularly Dungeons and Dragons because of its creative space. So when we come back, more of this story, Adam John's story and Adam Davis's story, their story here on Our American Story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. And we return to Our American Stories and the story of Game to Grow. And by the way, they hail from Kirkland, Washington. And now back to the story of Adam Davis and Adam Johns and how one of their childhood treasures turned into a grad school exercise and ultimately a full-time occupation in therapy. We got our first group going. The parents saw the outcomes. The parents started talking to other parents, inviting us to speak at other engagements. And then all of a sudden, the, the ball started to roll. And then before we knew it, we have continued to grow. And we are now full-time therapeutic game masters and executive directors of game to grow We have a, a sort of a, a theory at game to grow where players play the characters that they need to play. So we have a lot of players who, like I said, are socially isolated, who don't have a lot of social aptitude, and they don't really have a lot of experience being charismatic or confident, but they pick characters who are aspirational. A lot of players come in and they they pick characters who are military leaders, who have on their character sheet that they are very charismatic, that people believe in them. And so we know right away that that's something that the, that these young people want to want to play with and want to explore. Um, we have players that come in choosing to play characters that are very similar to themselves, lone wolves who are very isolated in the game. And then we can help that character grow, and thus the player grow. And that lone wolf character who wants to go off and solve every problem by themselves, now we put them in a situation in the game where their character needs to rely on somebody else because Dungeons and Dragons is a fellowship game. It's a game where every character has a unique and special ability that that makes them special. And that's a great life lesson is that you can't do everything by yourself. And people are going to rely on you and you are going to rely on people. And here's what that looks like to ask for help. And here's how good it feels to be able to be the person who can step up and help out the team. In one particular instance uh, where a player really made a choice that I was not expecting, um, the characters had all made their way through this dungeon, and they came up into a room where there was, um, on in one corner of the room, a massive troll of legend uh, who had been imprisoned there, and in the other corner of the room was a series of three unlabeled switches, and uh, across the other side of the room was a metal door that was closed. And it quickly was explained to the players that um, one of the three unlabeled switches would open the door on the other side of the room, allowing them to progress further into their dungeon. 
um, and the other two switches, when pulled together, would release the the massive troll of legend upon the players, but also upon the world itself. And usually how this works is that it's sort of a um, an interesting uh, challenge where the players can talk to the troll, they can figure out uh, is the troll lying to us about which switch is which, and, and it's sort of a mix of a puzzle and a social challenge. In this case, we had one player who uh, had just joined the group, and the player had described their character as being impulsive and having um, a lot of uh, hyperactivity. And it was an appropriate character for that player to play because that, that player also struggled with those exact same challenges. And that player said, um, I run across the room and I pull all three switches at once. And I've run that scenario several times. That was the first time anybody had ever just decided to pull all three switches. So all of a sudden I had to decide, okay, well, what what's going to happen here and what are the consequences of, of effectively just running ahead? And all the other players at the table had gotten out like graph paper and they were getting ready to like solve the puzzle and they just stood and stared slack-jawed at their teammate who, who might have just done them all in. And what I said was the troll runs across the room and he picks up uh, the impulsive player's character getting ready to eat them whole. And all the other characters, I said, you're, you're, you're the players at the table, I said, you, you can leave now. The door is open. Uh, but if you leave, you'll be leaving your teammate to be eaten by this, this massive troll of legend. And you'll also be leaving the troll to, to wreak havoc upon the world. You need to decide what your characters would do here. They are heroes in this world. What would they do? And they turned and they debated it with each other and they eventually decided that they would help their teammate. And so they entice the troll back into the, the cage um, and re-imprison the troll. And at the end of that session, we always do a checkout at the end of every session. And at the end of that session, there um, the players all checked out with each other. And the impulsive player said, I'm really glad that you guys helped me out there because my character is really impulsive and it's clear that they're going to have to learn how to be less impulsive. And I'm hoping that your characters will help teach them that. And one of the other players at the table also said in the checkout, I'm super glad that you did that because we're all here to basically learn how to navigate this space, how to learn these skills and be better at this. And your character doing that helped make me feel like, like I really belong here. I'm, I struggle with some of the same challenges and it helped me feel like I belong. And it was an amazing moment for them to realize that they're all in a similar place and they've all struggled to make friends, to connect with people. Um, and this is a place where that doesn't matter, where they can all get along and where they can m maybe have missteps but they can feel a sense of acceptance here. Part of our mission is to get more games into more communities around the country and around the world. We have traveled and we've done presentations and trainings for therapists who want to get involved. So what we've seen is that a lot of therapists don't have a lot of experience with role-playing games. And then the big barrier to entry, they, they hear the stories, they get excited, they want to participate in this emerging uh, intervention strategy, but they've, they're under-experienced in a game like Dungeons & Dragons. So one of our missions is to create a product that they can then take and it'll help them get started much faster. 
this project is called Critical Core. It is a beginner box for therapeutic game masters to start helping their participants almost right out of the box. So it's got a really simplified rule set. It's got a facilitator's guide for how to facilitate the game to be a positive pro-social environment with all the improv and all the stuff that we have added on as uh, incorporating the play therapy and drama therapy that we have into our game. But then also it's got a very specific module design where the storylines are directly related to a real world areas of social growth. So we might have the room that fills up with lava and that's a way to build frustration tolerance. Or the players have to go and get past a guard and that guard might have a slightly downturned mouth that looks like a frown and then we can work on theory of mind skills and perspective taking where now we can talk about uh, nonverbal social cues and the fact that that guard being sad or upset has nothing to do with you. You have no idea why he's making that facial expression, but in order to get past the guard into the next room in the dungeon or in the castle, we have to be able to relate to him, understand him, and communicate with him. So the, those three components going into Critical Core, uh, I think, will really be how we can get this project out there. We, like Microsoft's vision of a computer on every desk, we want a game on every desk, a game in every school a game in every hospital, a game in every clinic and therapist's office. Uh, that is our mission. So we don't want people to just game more. We want people to game better. Don't just game. Game to grow. And what an interesting story. At first, when I was reading about it, I thought, why should I care? But as so often happens here on this show, you start to hear the story and you go, my goodness, what an interesting way to do therapy. Therapeutic Game Masters. And it just, well, it makes sense. And we've been telling Adam Johns and Adam Davis's story. Great job on this, Robbie. Robbie just sort of bumped into it. These guys are in Kirkland, Washington. And we love to tell stories from all over this great country. Big ones, small ones. Again, Adam Johns and Adam Davis. Game to grow. And I love what they said. Don't just game more. Game better. This is Our American Story. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue here on Our American Stories. Don Raffle was a fiction editor for many years. Raffle's most recent book, The Strange Case of Dr. Cooney, How a Mysterious European Showman Saved Thousands of American Babies. Let's take a listen to this wonderfully unique American story. I spent about four years going down a rabbit hole of research to find out what was the deal with one of the strangest stories in American medical history. So early in the 20th century, um, if you were to go to Coney Island, um, the People's Playground, also known affectionately as Sodom by the Sea for its hijinks, or if you were to go to Atlantic City, which at the time was America's honeymoon capital, or if you were to go to, say, a theme park in Chicago or Minneapolis, you would pass an exhibit that would say infant incubators with real living babies, and there would be a barker outside, and you could pay a quarter to go see living premature babies being cared for in incubators. So when I first stumbled across this, I thought, how is this even possible? Is this the most crazy exploitation of human life? Is this a commodification of babies? Well, it turned out to be 
even stranger than that, there was almost no care for premature babies available in American hospitals at that time. So if somebody had a baby and a tiny one, two or three pounds, their best hope was to take the baby home and maybe um, wrap it in blankets, keep it warm next to the oven or the fire, and hope for the best, and often the best was not very good. Along came this man, Dr. Martin Arthur Cooney, who was behind all of these sideshows. Who was he? He claimed that he was a European doctor, that he had trained in Leipzig and Berlin. That, that would have been some of the best medical training in the world at that time. And then he was the protege of a great French doctor who was conveniently dead at the time that Martin Cooney was making these claims. And that he then came to the United States for the very first time in 1898 for the Omaha World's Fair to show this new technology, the infant incubator. Now, his story becomes very odd because apparently, according to him, he was just seized with the desire to relocate across an ocean. Seriously, why? Once you've seen Omaha, you can never return to Paris? I think I will give up my really prestigious institutional affiliation with one of the world's great doctors in France so that I can practice medicine on Coney Island next to the shoot the shoots and the alligator boy. Okay. It's not too much of a spoiler to say Martin Cooney really wasn't a real doctor. However, he knew how to save preemies and he was willing to do it when the medical establishment really couldn't and wouldn't do it. So here's this guy who actually did pick up a European protocol. He hired fantastic nurses. And let me tell you, in a neonatal ICU, the nurses are always the secret sauce. That has a lot to do with whether or not the babies survive. He had these great machines, the new incubators. He also offered the most meticulous care, very low nurse-to-patient ratio, insistent on feeding these babies breast milk only. If the mother couldn't provide it, he hired wet nurses. The premises were immaculate. He was a big believer in really loving these fish, love them, hug them, show them real human care. This was very much at odds with anything that was available in the hospitals for a long time. At the time, the hospitals really didn't have the resources to have enough equipment. They didn't have enough nurses. They didn't have enough space. Hospitals were sometimes not all that clean. They couldn't afford to hire wet nurses. They would feed the baby's formula that was not as successful. So here is this Dr. Cooney, fake doctor, saving children over the years by the thousands, desperately trying to persuade the medical establishment. And yes, admittedly, because this guy was charging admission to the public, he was becoming very wealthy himself. I don't really think he saw a conflict between doing good and his own personal self-interest. There were people who faulted him for that. But he continued, and you would think the medical establishment would catch on and say, hey, you know, here's this guy. He's getting real results. He's saving 85% of these children who should be considered pretty much doomed. However, 
there were a few things going on, one of which unfortunately was the American eugenics movement, which was really about taking the new science of genetics and using it to try to manipulate the human gene stock. It ended up in absolutely horrific abuses, including the involuntary sterilization of tens of thousands of Americans and the decision to sometimes deliberately withhold care from infants who had severe disabilities. Um, and it didn't directly target premature babies, but it did cast a shadow over their prospects. There was really a sense of, you know, why do we need to care for these weaklings, these feeble babies? We have more than enough hungry mouths to feed. The mother will have another child and so on. So the resources were just lacking. Over time, Martin Cooney had one great friend in Chicago, Dr. Julius Hess. And Julius Hess was really everything Martin Cooney wasn't. He was a real doctor. He did have real credentials. He was very highly respected. And he began listening to Dr. Cooney, learning from him, taking his practices into the hospital setting, and desperately, desperately struggling for funding, struggling to get people to listen to him. He published the first book on taking care of preemies in this country in 1922, in which he dedicated his book to Dr. Cooney. But something that really turned the tide was in 1933, at the bottom of the Depression, there was a World's Fair in Chicago. It's not the famous World's Fair that most people think of with the Ferris wheel and that's featured in the book Devil in the White City. This was a Depression era World's Fair and Dr. Cooney and Dr. Hess joined forces to have a big incubator show. It was right out on the Midway with the sideshows and other Midway attractions. Meanwhile, in the Hall of Science, you had a eugenics exhibit, but the actual work of saving lives was happening on the Midway, and there was so much publicity for this particular show that it did begin to turn the tide. Chicago became the first city with a really unified public health policy in order to take care of preemies it would eventually become the model for the rest of the country. So if we really want to look at it, there are many people beginning to believe that, yes, you know, this phony doctor with the sideshow is actually the rightful father of American neonatology. He saved thousands and thousands of people. Some of them are still alive. I've talked to a bunch of them. I will tell you, not a one of them feels annoyed that they were displayed in a sideshow. Not a one of them feels like they were exploited in any way. And not a one of them is irritated that he wasn't a real doctor. They feel only gratitude that this man saved their life. And they went on to have wonderful lives and have children and have grandchildren. Without Martin Cooney, they probably would not be here. So we sometimes owe a debt to people who work really far outside the lines, and Martin Cooney is one of them. Another really interesting thing about Dr. Cooney is that when hospitals began introducing incubators, and it, it really became very widespread after World War II when American healthcare in general just got better and better, that first generation of preemies treated in hospitals with incubators, a great many of them 
very sadly went blind and they couldn't understand what was going on. And Martin Cooney, by that point, was already retired, but they did go to ask him, why is it that none of the babies you treated lost their eyesight? And frankly, he really didn't know. Um, Well, he wasn't a doctor and nobody knew why this was going on. The truth was the hospitals were pumping too much oxygen into the machines. That was causing the blindness. And Martin Cooney, although he pumped oxygen into the machines, it was never as much. And hey, he was a showman. So he would actually take the babies out of the machines and show them off. And because of that, because of that, their eyesight was preserved. So again, just a little piece of lost medical history, and I hope you enjoy this story. Thank you. And that was Dawn Raffle, and thanks, Dawn, for that really interesting story. And so much work is done outside the boundaries of whatever the establishment thinks in almost any field. The strange case of Dr. Cooney, here on Our American Stories. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.